This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Try to put on the show. First Blue Friday of the year? Not really. Kind of. A baby Blue Friday? An almost Blue Friday? Baby Blue Friday. Blue Friday? I baby think it's Blue Baby Friday. Blue Friday. Right, because we're going to see a lot of baby Seahawks out there. Not all the baby Seahawks are necessarily going to make it into the ocean. Get your preseason opener for the Seattle Seahawks. And I, I know preseason football's place. It's not to ever be mistaken for the real thing. I, I characterize it as it's a fun way to... Give 75% of your attention to a three-hour exercise in sort of tryouts, and you get to watch guys actually tackle each other. It's not meaningless. I'm not going to sweat out the result by any stretch, but I'm excited to watch this. I'm excited to see a couple of different things. The real question is how many of those things that I'm excited about am I actually going to get to see? Because there are some moments over the course of a preseason game where you might get a hint at something you'll actually see on Sundays in September. But for the most part, it is a survival tryout for a bunch of guys who, for the most part, we don't really recognize. You want no injuries for your meaningful players. So there's about 20 guys on there. that so you include... hate saying that. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, it's important true, to though. say. Russell Wilson, Gabe Jackson, Damian Lewis... I'll throw Brandon Shell in there. I don't care if DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett play a snap. Same goes for Daryl Gerald Everett and Will Disley. But like, there's a series of guys where you're like, I really don't care that much what they do. I just want them to not get hurt. Yeah. If 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 Russell comes out of there and looks the worst he's ever appeared, that's significant. I'm not going to sweat about that. Just just don't get hurt. But there's a middle tier of guys. There's a middle tier of guys for whom this can be very important. And I think that's probably – I go – the thing I'm most excited to watch, the thing that I will be looking at most is how Ugo Amadi and Marquise Belair play. I think those are two guys with a lot of potential. They could factor into – one of them is going to get a spot in the regular rotation and be the nickelback, which is essentially a starter in today's NFL. The other one's going to get opportunities – I'm going to be fix it. That's the thing I'm most interested in watching is those two guys. Between those two, I am curious if it's one or the other going into the regular season or if they will use both as some sort of uh, Swiss Army knife, if you will, where one's able to do one thing, the other's able to do totally different things. But that is definitely an intriguing one. I would just say, in general, the entire cornerback position, that might be the closest thing to 60 minutes of, wow, I actually need to pay attention to this. Because not just because of what you don't really know, Danny, about the starting corners, because you're not 100% sure who is the guy that's going to be opposite DJ Reed. Trey Flowers has had an awesome week this training camp. Akilla Witherspoon's the guy that you would think is probably the front runner, But also Trey Brown. And Trey Brown actually got some reps with the first team yesterday. So I think there's a lot of cornerbacks that are going to, and, and in addition to who you mentioned, too, at nickel corner with Hugo Amadi and, and Marquise Blair. I'm with you. I, I think that entire group for 60 minutes actually might give you something to really watch. Not sure if we'll see DJ Reed play. Trey Flowers probably gets a lot. That conversation is going to be involved. We're going to do Are You Buying It? That's coming up a little bit later this hour. At 9 a.m. this morning, we're going to talk to Ray Roberts, who's going to be part of the radio call. He's going to team with Steve Rabel 
on the call here, 710 ESPN Seattle. Uh, the game on Saturday, 6 p.m. kickoff. It is being played in Las Vegas. We also have a Mariners series with the Texas Rangers to wrap up and one to get excited for. Maybe it's fitting. On a day in which we prepare for the Canadian invasion, which is not going to be nearly as much because I don't think they can drive down here yet. I, I think any of the Canadians that we see in the crowd are either going to be people who live here or f- people that fl- flew in. We're not going to have the same annual infestation. But on the same day that we prepare to, 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 to welcome uh, the Toronto Blue Jays, Marco Gonzalez is basking in the first complete game by any Mar- Mariner pitcher. And for the guy who declared what he was not going to allow Toronto and its faithful fans to do on the dining room table, it was quite a statement he made yesterday. Yeah, the starters for the Mariners have done really well of late, but you Been can make great. an argument that this is the best start by anyone this season. It's a complete game. It's two hits. He only allows the one home run. There's just one walk. He almost had 10 strikeouts on the game, too. I mean, this was about as dominant as you're going to see Marco Gonzalez be. And, yeah, take it with a grain of salt. It's against Texas. But also, factor in what he's been doing over the course of the last month. Marco Gonzalez has been lights out of late. Got right. He, he's, he's absolutely, he absolutely got right. His ERA this month, Danny, is .83. He has a .60 walks, hits per innings pitched over 21 and two-thirds innings. He's looking the way that we hoped he would going into the year, like the Mariners' best pitcher. Took him some time to get to that point, obviously. There were some real struggles early on, but now he seems to have figured it out. And, yeah, that was a great start by him yesterday. And he, along with the rest of the Mariners' starters, continue to make up for an offense that's still barely putting together two, three runs a night. They got three yesterday. They did. They got three. They got one more than they needed. They had a a relatively, it was a comfortable victory compared to how this offense has functioned recently. Here's the final out. Marco Gonzalez finishing off what he started. The windup and the pitch on the way. Swing and a miss. Strike three and he did it. Marco Gonzalez with the Mariners' first complete game win of the season. Three to one victory over the Texas Rangers here at T-Mobile Park. Marco Gonzalez goes all away and becomes the first Mariner pitcher to throw a complete game win since he did it. <laughs> it sort of goes to show you where the starting rotation's been over the last couple of years, but he is the holdover, and he's the one that I think you look at and you wonder if he's going to be a part of this team long term. I would assume so. Do you wonder? I wonder because of this. I want to know who was most angry about the Kendall Graveman trade. And I want to know if whatever feelings that came to light in that piece from Ryan Divish in the Seattle Times, I want to know if any of them have reached a breaking point where they're like, I'm tired of this. And maybe they think to themselves, you know what, I like this clubhouse, but I'm tired of looking upstairs and not feeling great about the guys upstairs. There's one guy that I think we could definitely agree is probably there already, right? Isn't isn't Kyle Seeger there? He's been here 10 years. I would imagine that especially in the last year of his contract, that he's probably not thrilled about something like that. But Yeah, I, I would bet that everything Kyle that's been through, and when that first trade happened and the feeling that you're subtracting and not adding, but most of the guys in there, I don't know if I care how mad Marco was about that. Like, I don't know if that, I don't know if that bothers me or I, I don't, I don't have any, Marco's, Marco's a cornerstone for you, right? And doesn't this season show that even more? Personally, it doesn't bother me either. My question is, how is he necessarily feeling? We're two weeks removed from it. And is that something that maybe you think to yourself if you are in the clubhouse, whether you're Scott Service or maybe you're upstairs and you're Jerry Depoto, do you feel like he's still in it the way that he seemed to be in it when he signed that extension not too long ago? 
just something to keep, I think, in the back of your mind because I don't think it's necessarily 100% that the Mariners go into this offseason and think to themselves, you know, we're going to keep Marco Gonzalez untouchable. We're going to keep Mitch Hanniger untouchable. Man, if they were to move, that would shock me, and it would be a statement that you're further off, right? Like, everything that you've seen this year should tell you that, man, this thing's ready to turn the corner. Like, everything that we've seen this year should tell you now is the time to add, not subtract. True. You do, you do not kick the can down the road at this point. But your offense is what it is, and I don't know if it's necessarily fixing itself in one offseason. And, you know, they've done really well in these close games, and they deserve credit for it. But, you know, we, we, we asked that question, too, back in 2018 of whether or not they were really as close to, I guess, being able to take that next step. And obviously we saw what the front office and what Jerry Depoto did afterwards. Is that something that they have in the back of their mind? Like, we see it differently, I would imagine, Danny, than the front office and, the, and, and specifically Jerry Depoto would. You've got a great nucleus of players right now. And you've got a nucleus that should be improving year to year where you can bank on a collection of young players getting collectively better. Throw Abraham Toro in there with Cal Raleigh, with Jared Kelnick. Lump Kyle Lewis in there because he was the reigning rookie of the year and he's coming back from an injury and hopefully we'll see him at the end. I put Fraley in there that you've got a group of guys that you can believe, hey, they're going to get better. I haven't mentioned Taylor Trammell, whether he's someone that comes back up. Julio Rodriguez is still a little bit down the road. I don't want to factor him as someone who will help the offense next year. But, man, you've got a collection of players that should be time to add, not subtract. If if they're talking about subtracting, if they're talking about – I can't imagine that that's a consideration. And, honestly, the way Marco's gone this year, you feel encouraged about him going forward where he went through a little bit of a struggle, and and he's been able to pull himself out of that, kind of reach down and grab, and he's back to being one of the best pitchers in the entire league as he was the previous three years. There's a lot of good news from that. The Mariners win 3-1. to one. It is Danny Gallant. we got the professor coming up in five minutes for the latest. We've got a headline to get to in the Seahawks, and it's not necessarily a good one. It's time for Front Page News. This, this is the front page. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710, get what you need to know to start your day right now. All right. Front page news, banner headline, all caps. Seahawks, play hardball with left tackle. It's from your Seattle Times. Bob Condota reporting that the Seahawks have not really engaged Dwayne Brown with his extension. We got the update yesterday that the Seahawks and Jamal Adams, there's a bit of a standoff, but those two sides are pretty close. It, From reading Bob Condota's article, the Seahawks know that Dwayne Brown wants an extension, and they haven't really offered, offered that to him. They haven't engaged with him of like, okay, let's try to make a deal. Is there anything else at play, Danny, that maybe we didn't know about when it comes to Dwayne Brown and and the relationship between he and the I know in the offseason I know in the offseason there was talk of retirement that Dwayne had communicated and I'm not sure how how firmly he said it or to whom he said it but I know that people around the team thought that there was a chance that Dwayne Brown was going to retire and obviously Players have those sort of thoughts all the time. And again, I don't know how direct that was. But if you're the Seahawks and you've got a tackle that's 36 years old and in the offseason, you're kind of preparing or knowing that there might be the chance that you 
you have to replace him because he steps away. And then when you get to training camp, you hear that, actually, I want an extension. I mean, your fear as a team is that, okay, is he is he trying to get a parting gift here, right? Like, and how much, if I'm counting on him at 36 to not only play this season, but be available next year, is that reasonable considering that we're just a couple months, the last time he finished the season, he was like, I don't know if I want to do this again. That was noteworthy in our conversations before this morning's show when I, when I read that. And that, I think, is something that would perhaps change my mind at the very least about giving a 35, soon-to-be 36-year-old offensive lineman an extension this offseason. Are the Seahawks playing this wrong? Should they be Should they be trying to roll out the red carpet to get him going again? Not at this point, but based off of what we see Saturday night from Stone Forsythe, that could change very, very quickly because I imagine we'll see a lot of foresight in that preseason game given how many reps he's been getting with the ones over the last couple of weeks. The front page. Baseball had a national event, the Field of Dreams game. And while it was completely insufferable to see Kevin Soft, Kevin Costner walk out of the corn stalks and stand around for two minutes awkwardly, Seeing the Yankees and White Sox follow him through the stalks of corn onto the field, I thought that was pretty cool. Game itself turned out to be pretty great because the Yankees blew it, and you saw a walk-off home run. Stock-off. Oh, God. It was a stock-off. Oh, God. No. He hit it into the cornfield. It was a stock-off home run. <sighs> That's play, solid. Play the, That's play solid wordplay play, right play the highlight. Play the highlight. Anderson hits it in the air to right. At the wall, and the White Sox win it. I hear the word stock, and I don't think of corn stocks, Danny. No, no. You I think, think of st- what they put at the grocery stores, like the stock boys. I was a stock boy at the grocery no, store. No, that's S T O C K. I, I, I think of the it's creep- pronounced the same as the other way. Well, I think of the creepy, the creepy spelling stock. Hey, what's going on? Dude, I'll tell you what. There was what? a there was a serial killer when I was growing up named the Night Stalker. It was the single most terrifying thing. Like I would go to the L.A. in the, in in summers to visit my family. It was horrifying, and they came up with a mini series about that a couple years ago. And I was like, dude, there is no way that I want to relive any part of that. Like that is creepy. Like you guys are all sick. Were all the serial killers in California, or were there any in Oregon? Uh Seems like most of them were, in, at least based off of well, my very limited knowledge, were in California, and I would say Ted like the Zodiac Ted Killer, Ted Bundy. Yeah, you do have there's prominence, but there's also a lot of people in California. Ted Bundy has some UW roots, as mm. much as it pains me to admit. It was also spent some time in Florida. Yeah, clearly no beloved spinning around. BTK was in the middle of the country. Let's get off serial killers. It's Friday. Like, how did this take? It took a really dark turn. Let's get to the professor. It's time for our morning drive. John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle, and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything, everything. NFL, NFL from the professor, John Clayton. John Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football. It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny and Gallant. Professor, what are you most curious to see in tomorrow night's preseason opener for the Seahawks? I, I think just uh, the early look at the offense and how much they're going to go with if they do go with Russell Wilson and see how the outside running game looks. Uh, you know, again, it's going to be you know kind of interesting to see because it looks like the Raiders aren't going to play a lot of players, and so uh, 
This is one where we'll see how many players the Seahawks are going to be able to play. I mean, we're, one, one of the things we're watching is that there's more teams that are keeping their main starters out. But I think uh, yeah, you want to see how the offensive line starts to look at the very beginning, particularly you know, with the problems that they have at a tackle position because of injuries. You want to see the outside running game. Certainly you want to see a little bit with the wide receivers. And then you want to see how the cornerbacks look. Because, again, I think that uh, – uh, I don't know how much they're going to go with, with uh, Trey Flowers and how much they're going to go with Akella Witherspoon. But, again, just like anything else in a preseason game, just want to see how the players look. John, Pete generally likes to play guys. Huh? He said earlier this year, like, look, Dwayne Brown wasn't going to be doing anything. He wasn't going to be doing anything when it came to uh, the, the preseason anyway. We know we won't see him. I I think we'll probably see Russell for a series yeah. or so. What do you What do you expect? Probably a series or so, yeah, because I think that's that seems to be the model. I mean, you saw uh, with, with the thought coming from uh, Kyle Shanahan that he's going to go with uh, you know his quarterbacks for one series each. You know, starting certainly with Jimmy Garoppolo for a series, and then go with uh, Trey Lance for a series, and then just go all the way to the backups. I mean, you know, notice that uh, Ben Roethlisberger didn't play last night. It's one where it's like, okay, this is so different of a preseason than in the past, where it was a couple years ago before the pandemic. Because, again, the usual model was, I mean, you have the quarterback come in, play 15 plays, then the starters come in, play 15 plays. Second game, they come in, they go into the second quarter. Third game, they go into the second half. Uh, that's just not going to be the case this year. It's just so different as far as everybody, how, how they use things. Because, again, they don't want to risk injury. No, they don't. And Sean McVay has been one of the people that's led the charge. They're like, look, you're yeah. not, you're not going to see. We're not, we're not going to play starters in there. I'm surprised. I was looking back. 2019, Russell did not play in the mm-hmm. preseason opener. So that's the last time they'd had a first preseason game. The year before that, he did. He does have a new offense, so, so maybe they'll be looking to do that. John, I don't want you to yell at me about this because yeah. I'm not the one asking the question. Go ahead. But the 253 texted in. And he said, are the rumors true that Russ may restructure his contract so the no. team can sign both Jamal Adams and Dwayne Brown? They, he doesn't need to. I mean, it, there we it, go, John. It's like it's not needed because, again, you know, it, once you, know, you figure that Jamal is going to get something done now, according to the Seattle Times, they've upped the offer to seventeen and a half million dollars a year and they got the guarantee at thirty eight. And again, if he's going to be stupid which he could be asking for $40 million in the guarantee that nothing will get done. But they're, I mean, they've made their best offer. If he doesn't take it, then he's an idiot. And so it's like, uh, but no, it's like uh, when, when you look at it, there, there's no need for that to happen. And again, it's like, uh, you know, Russell, and again, all this is uh, the, the stupid Mark Rogers thing, leaking things out and trying to you know, keep his client in the news is like, uh, you know, they don't need that to happen. And so it's like, uh, why, why put more pressure into next year's cap by doing it? If they need it, they, they can get it. But right now, they don't need to get it. We might not be on the same page about paying offensive linemen $10-plus plus million a year if they're over 36 years old, John, but we are on the same page when it comes to all things Mark Rogers. Yeah. I got a question about a tweet that the Dallas Cowboys put out. It went viral because it, it's... Hey, hey this- by, by the way, I was just going through the numbers... Uh, there we go. Okay, Andrew Whitworth ended up not getting ten million dollars a year on his new contract. This year, it's three years, thirty million dollars. No, it's eight and a half. Two years, seventeen. Three years, thirty million. Yeah, and thirty nine years old. Should they cut him, John? Because he's making you know around ten million dollars a year. He's thirty nine yeah, years old. Yeah, it, it, and, cut again, him. Uh, and Riley Reef, who's in his thirties, he got seven and a half. Yeah, but Dwayne Brown's better than than Riley. Reef. Doesn't matter. Mm, should. 
Yeah, so. but again, I mean, <laughs> I, I know it was with an agent last night, and he was saying it's like, oh yeah, he can get twelve. You know, in the open market, I mean, he would get ten or less. All right, go ahead. We go ahead. <laughs> Let's, no, it's all good. Let's move on to the uh, Dallas Cowboys. They put out this tweet. It went viral. Mm-hmm. It's not a setback, and it's not a reason to worry. But quarterback Dak Prescott is planning on getting another MRI. This has to do with his shoulder. If you watched Hard Knocks, you saw that there's some concern over what's going on with his shoulder. What do you think is going to happen there? Because one of the things that I got, and this is, again, reading probably too much into a reality TV show, is that Dak Prescott does not seem to be particularly thrilled about his current situation. It seemed like he was really frustrated with the fact that he's not getting enough reps. But I think the Cowboys are doing the right thing because all of a sudden he's once again hurt. Yeah, Cowboys are doing the right thing because you don't want to put a quarterback out there injured. And, of course, the problem is it's an injury that's different than a football injury. I mean, it seems like it's more of a baseball injury with a fan standpoint that they had to have the Texas Rangers check out what was going on there. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's a serious thing, but I think it's a very concerning thing. And one thing we know, the, you, we, we can say what we want about Troy Akers and his relationship with the Cowboys, but let's put it this way. It's much better than you think because one thing, that Jerry Jones will do will talk to uh, Troy and have him put out some things that uh, maybe he won't say and you know Troy will do that because again he's such a he's such a good broadcaster he's such an upfront person and all that to me it's concerning about the, you know what, what's going to happen to him at the very beginning of the season I mean is he going to be able to play the season absolutely but again I think there's got to be more concern as Troy Aikman says about that uh, injury than people were accepting. Yeah, it's not a great sign. No. And the fact, I, you can say what you want about having another MRI, but mm-hmm. if you've got a player who's not playing and you're sending him for an MRI on his throwing shoulder and that's his job to throw the football, that is that is, that is definitely a reason to worry. Uh, John, around the league, yep. it looks like uh, Fields in, in Chicago, Justin Fields, he's going to p- start and play into the second half in this first preseason game. That certainly sounds to me like a guy who's being geared up to be the opening day starter. Do you think there's a chance he's in that spot? No, absolutely not. Because, again, Andy Dalton's going to be the starter. I mean, again, you, you, you look at the way things are going for the quarterback position right now. Most of the starters, the guys who are QB number one, aren't going to play, or if they play, they're not going to play much. And so it's like, uh, sure, you take Justin Fields and you give him as much opportunity as you can because he's not going to be the opening day starter. I don't care how well he's doing. I know it's an open competition. Anything can happen in an open competition. But, you know, Matt Nagy, uh, Ryan Pace, they need to win this year. And to put a rookie quarterback out there with that offensive line, the fact that Tevin Jenkins, their left tackle, they drafted in the first round, uh, is not – Hasn't practiced yet. The right tackle is right now in COVID-19. This interior of the line is terrible. You're going to put out a rookie quarterback to start the season? Well, yeah, fine. Go ahead. Lose. Professor, we always appreciate it. We'll be listening tomorrow morning, taking your calls, 8 to 11 on the John Clayton Show. Absolutely. Three hours, and we are taking your phone calls. Thanks so much, John. We'll talk Uh, to you next week. Okay, thanks. That is the professor, John Clayton. You can hear him also this afternoon. That's coming up with Wyman and Bob. All right. Marco Cruz, is he still a cornerstone? We'll talk about that next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. My mom and dad and, and my mom's mom, my grandma flew in uh, 
you know, yesterday. And uh, it's just it's just special to have family here, you know. Um, first time my dad and grandma met the baby. And, um, you know, obviously to have, you know, Monica and Grace here, just just special times, man. I've been been waiting on this dad's strength to come around. And, uh, you know, it's just, it just feels good to, to feel like I have my feet under me and, and uh, you know, pitch with my heart and, and go out there and, and have fun. The dad strength you, led to. Are a you familiar game. with dad strength? No, I am not. I've heard of it. I've heard rumors. I feel like parent strength, whether it's the ability to lift a car over perhaps a small child that has somehow gotten underneath a car. I've seen videos of that. But is dad strength real? Something yes. I always wonder about. Seven ten, seven ten. Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. So that's Marco Gonzalez talking about. He had a daughter earlier this year and came out, and his dad strength kicked in yesterday. My dad, I, I've talked about this before. My dad got very sick toward the end of his life. He died when he was 38. Um, and the last year and a half of his life, he was pretty physically crippled um, and housebound toward the end. I still watched him while wearing a back brace, his bones weakened by prednisone, get really mad because of how difficult it was to change a car tire to bend down and pick that up at a point in time when he was having a hard time walking without a cane. And it was one of those things where, yeah, that's dad strength, where you get so mad it doesn't matter. (laughs) On his deathbed, I would have not been able to take him on my best day because of dad strength. And you ask anyone who's ever tried to fight or step to their father about dad strength, and they will tell you, like, my dad was a logger. My dad was able to, at the height of his physical prowess, do 24 pull-ups. And no matter how eroded he became, like, he always had that dad strength. Pair of new balances. <laughs> yeah, man. With him, with him, you knew it was serious when he was splitting wood with just jeans on and no shirt. Like serious, like backwoods, logger and Southern Oregon style. Like that man could have taken on Hulk Hogan in that attire. Did he ever wear jorts? Because I feel like that would be no, more practical I, no, for no, he was a uh, little, outdoor labor. He was probably a little, he was a little old for jorts. Like, if he had been 10 years younger, he would have been in the jorts demographic. But he was definitely, I've, I watched him play basketball in jeans and no shirt. Like, that, that's, that's kind of the old man demographic that he was in. Okay, something straight out of Top Gun. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, kind of that Hanging era of American male. <laughs> Short OP shorts. Like, he'd rock those. So Marco Gonzalez's dad strength on full display, a complete game, nine strikeout, two hitter, just a home run allowed, and a walk. Look, it's against Texas. They're a minor league baseball team. But Gonzalez this month has also been outstanding. A .83 ERA with a .60 walks and hits per innings pitched over 22, 21 and two-thirds innings. He's looked the way that we hoped he would going into the year. And if he was one of those veteran players on the Mariners that was livid about the trade that took place at the trade deadline, maybe that has also kicked in said dad's strength. The anger has led to him looking really, really good. He's under team control, and he is all of a sudden looking like the guy that you thought he would going into this season. There's a part of me, Danny, that wonders if the Mariners look at Marco Gonzalez as a really valuable trade chip going into the offseason in addition to Mitch Haniger, I don't think he can rule it out entirely. And this is not me saying that it's a move that I would do, looking at Marco Gonzalez and would actually trade him. This is just something I wonder about being on the table for the Mariners. We call Jerry DePoto Trader Jerry, right? Are we really going to say that this is completely out of bounds? 
uh, in foul territory? I'm not 100% sure. Completely out of bounds and in fair territory, foul territory, and here's why. Because their window for competing, contending, should start to open. If it's not already cracked, which I think it is, it's open next year. You need to add pitching. I don't think you're going to be able to find a better pitcher than Marco Gonzalez at the price you're paying him. And not only that, you need to keep him and you need to add front-end pitching. You need to add another starter that you you consider to be a front-of-the-rotation type pitcher for next season. That's my opinion. You absolutely can't subtract. And I, I think that we should be encouraged, even though the trade of Graveman was sort of, we're giving up a great, a great reliever right now for a guy that we think can be good and contribute for years to come. Like, that was kind of the equation, right? It was a reliever who's been great this year, and we don't know his future beyond this year, for a guy that we like and we think is good right. and is going to be here for a number of years. But really, starting next year, I think that calculus is different. I don't think you have the ability to say, mm, probably not this year. At least not until you get to the trade deadline and see that, okay, we're 15 games back of the wild card. And if you're in the same spot next year that you were this year, I expect the Mariners to be more aggressive when it comes to rentals. I expect the Mariners to be more aggressive in, in that regard. Just because of, and I, and I think Jerry's always kind of geared it that way. Of So is it possible that someone's going to floor you with an offer of two top-tier prospects for Marco Gonzalez that makes you feel that, oh, we can't give up? I guess, but I just don't see that as being a reasonable... We've waited an awful long time, and all the signs are that the Mariners are on the cusp here. It probably would only be prospects, but is there the possibility that you could put together, perhaps, Gonzalez and Mitch Hanniger and trade them for that starter that you're talking about right now? Is that even remotely possible? And I would say this would be trading it to a contender who's maybe looking to add both a bat and a starting and just a quality starting pitcher that maybe feels good about their rotation but has a guy that they're not 100% sure they can keep. That's sort of what I'm talking about here. Because I would what? agree with the one texter who texts in, what's the upside to dealing Marco? I don't think there's much unless you're getting a legitimately better player for the right now, which is what you're talking about too, as far as something they might do at the trade deadline next year, be rent, going after rental type players. But anybody that's trading for Marco, anybody that's acquiring Marco, is going to be trading from the future to get present edition, right? Probably, unless, again, you're adding someone else into the mix. If you were to, like, say, add, like, don't you think that a, a package of Mitch Hanniger and Marco Gonzalez for some team would be attractive enough to part ways with a guy that they think is, yeah, we can't really afford this guy. Meanwhile, Hanniger's under team control for one more year, and Marco Gonzalez is under team control for, what, two more? It's more likely that a team that was interested in those two players would be offering you top of their minor league system I, I prospects. I agree. I agree by the right? way. Right. And and I'm not I'm not interested in making that deal. I'm not I'm not interested in getting somebody else's sort of promise for tomorrow. Because I feel like the Mariners promise and what they've been situating themselves for is is arriving now. Like I, I, I think and Hanniger and Gonzalez are part of that. And if it becomes a we're gonna lose them potentially for nothing in the off season, my reaction is Good teams lose good players to free agency all the time. Like, that happens. Right. And take your draft pick compensation and go with it. Do not trade. In this case, it would be two years. Marco's, Marco's future and Hanniger's final year of cost control. Don't trade both of those for the promise of tomorrow. I agree. those guys might be pro- possible cornerstones of a winner now. I'm, I'm with you. If it's for, if it's for 
promises of tomorrow, then no. I, I just wonder if there is a baseball team out there that would look at two players for one and think to themselves, hey, this could help us because we're getting a bat for one year like Hanniger, but we would also be getting a starting pitcher, and maybe there's a starter that they have on their rotation or something like that that they're like, yep, this guy's gone. This guy is someone, or this is someone that we can't afford. This is someone where arbitration-wise, maybe he gets into a messy point. You're making, you're making a face. I don't think it's likely. I just, I think that there are just, a lot I'm more wondering, possibilities. I'm wondering who for, that would be. Like, what, what kind of pitcher are you talking about then? Would it be somebody that maybe is, I don't know, starting to get into the arbitration phase of his contract or something like that? Where, say, Tampa Bay. You know, it's weird that they traded Diego Castillo because he's yeah. still under team control. Maybe there's another team that has a guy that's getting into that arbitration side of things, and they're like, you know what? This is where we're going to get to a point where we actually can't afford it. So there's only a couple of teams that are probably like that. I'm wondering if there's a guy like that out there, and if that's something that maybe Jerry would think about as far as moving. Because I, I don't think necessarily anything's off the table for this team in the short term, if that makes sense. If, if you were going to get one player that added up to the production that you could expect or should expect from Gonzalez and Hanniger next year, that guy would have to be one of the very best pitchers in the league. Like that guy would, and I'm not sure if a team that had a player like that would be willing to give him up for two, because both Hanniger and Gonzalez are these stars, like cusp of all stars, but not sure if they're the very best. I'm, I'm not sure if that's the kind of person they would be interested in. What I'm very clearly not interested in doing is making either Marco or Hanniger part of a rebuild where you say, okay, we've got somebody that'll be coming up, coming up in the future. Danny O'Neill, Paul Gallant, Danny and Gallant, 710 ESPN, Seattle, 710-710 if you want to respond to that. Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. This guy is having a great training camp, and you're going to be surprised because you probably think that the guy's not very good. Is he going to be a starter at a key position for the Seahawks next year? We'll tell you who that guy is next in another edition of Are You Buying It? You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. We've been doing something all week. It is an auction-style format, but asking, are you buying it? Hence, the cash rules everything around me. Hence, some of the sound effects that you will hear. But we've got a series of, of questions or observations that have been drawn. And the question we'll be asking is, are you buying it? You're, you're free to contribute as you'd like, text in 710-710, the Mac and Jacks text line. We got Michael Bumpus, who will be joining us for the show, uh, coming up in about 10 minutes. But, Paul, I'm going to ask you about Trey Flowers, who is a former starter, someone whom this franchise has had a great deal of hope for in the past, to convert its safety, but we've seen them try to upgrade beyond him at this point. Right now, he's backing up DJ Reed. DJ Reed's been banged up. It's got him out there. Corbin Smith, when he was on with the Paul Gallant show earlier this week, pointed out that, well, Trey Flowers is starting to look pretty good. Here's Corbin. Up until this week, I believe that DJ Reed had cemented his status as the starter at right cornerback. If he's going to miss time, though, that makes things interesting because Trey Flowers was having quietly a very strong camp, and now suddenly – these past few practices, it's gone from being quiet to being a pretty publicized situation. He's made a couple nice pass deflections against DK Metcalf in camp, and we know how difficult it is to cover DK Metcalf. So that's really helped him out. And in the mock scrimmage, wasn't getting targeted much. Really, that's a good thing for a corner if you're not getting targeted much. And he's just been really playing sticky coverage. He's looked really good. 
I can concur, uh, confirm what Corbin's okay. been saying. Okay, I, that's fine. It's, it's practice. Are, are you hold on? Are you buying the idea of Trey Flowers at this this being the season he comes into his own and is a good starter? I'm not buying it, but I do think that it's possible that he could be a starter if that makes sense. Because you're talking about him competing against Akella Witherspoon. And is Akella okay. Witherspoon going to blow Trey Flowers out of the water? I hope he does. But, I mean, this is the guy that San Francisco let walk. Maybe this is different. Because I get what you're saying, which is, hey, if you if you give yourself a choice out of the four people that are out there, maybe Trey Flowers has been one of the two best ones. And if that's the case, he starts. If, if, that's, if that's the case, though, if that happens... Are we going to go back to complaining about how Trey Flowers has played in the past? Do you, Are we getting a better version of Trey Flowers right now? We're not going to know until game time because it's practice versus the game. But he has done well against DK Metcalf, all things considered. And that's more than I think you would have expected out of him in the past. I mean, he's looked lost out there at times very often ever since that game where he played against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in 2019, that overtime game where Mike Evans killed him. And Mike Evans just murdered him. I, I felt like his spirit left his body in that game. You don't get to wait to decide if you're buying it, Paul. I'm going to ask you to hang out because I'm not buying this. I, I am oh, absolutely, I'm not buying it. I, 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 I am absolutely not buying. Hey, oh, I hope it's true, and all of the, I I hope it's true for all all of the different people say. But I am not buying that this is the the. I'm not buying the Trey Flowers Renaissance. I'm not buying the Renaissance. But if the question is, he's a potential starter at quarterback. I don't think anything's off the table. I mean, shoot, Trey Brown got first team reps yesterday. Because he's been making a lot of big plays, and that's the guy I'm probably the most excited about in this year's draft class. So I, I think there are a lot of possibilities, and I think this is going to be the most fascinating thing to watch in the preseason. All of these corners, I imagine, will get extended reps outside of DJ Reed, who's the guy who proved to you last year, even though it was in eight games and mostly against bad quarterbacks, that he's pretty consistent. If Trey Flowers is starting week four, I think we're going to have the same complaints that we've had for the past three years and talking about penalties and him getting beat over the top and, and for all of the training camp. And it's not just Corbin. It, it, Pete Carroll has, has pumped up the tires on Trey Flowers as well and saying he's out there competing. I, I think that this is very firmly people saying what they hope they're seeing or what they'd like to see from Trey Flowers as opposed to what we will actually see if he's the starter. All right. So neither one of us is buying that one hook, you- line, and sinker. How about this idea? Seattle is okay at defensive tackle despite having cut Jaron Reed. We haven't talked about this at all. Here's Pete Carroll talking about the big, large, massive humanity that's currently wedged in that spot, a fellow by the name of Al Woods. This is a classic, um, really, for us to, to go get a guy that we've had before that we knew that is a total leader, locker room guy, great character, tough dude. He's so excited to be back playing again. He really missed not playing last year. It really looked like he looks great. He's, he's uh, he's just handled everything really well. You think, okay, another year older, maybe he's losing it. Not at all. Yeah, so um, really excited about his, his return because of the, the person that he is with this team. I mean, just love the guy. I don't know if you guys get a chance to interview him or, or, or at all, but uh, you should because he's, he's got a great spirit to him, and we, we love the kid. He is a big dude out there. Bye, Are you buying it? Bye, 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 bye. I don't think Jaron Reed made that, made that much of a difference with the Seahawks outside of the one year where he had the, what, 10 sacks. Honestly, you, you, if you ever focus on the, what's going on in the trenches on the all-22 side of things, I'm not going to act like I'm an expert, but he never jumped out. I feel like he is just a, a lot like a lot of other defensive linemen, which isn't to say he's bad, but I felt like he was definitely overpaid for what he was actually giving you last year. I'm buying this as well. I'm buying this as well because if John Schneider has one sort of low-key superpower, 
Like, I, I think the thing John does best is how he manages extensions. Like, the decisions that he makes, who they pull the trigger on, when they draw the line. I think that idea of how you go about re-signing guys, I think it's the thing that he does best as a general manager, and I think that's really hard. The low-key superpower he has is if you give him $2 million and say, go find me a veteran defensive tackle, he will get a guy that might not be an all-pro there, but is going to be a very, very solid, solid member of a run-stopping unit. You give him... I don't think there's anybody better in the league if you say, all right, $2 million, go find me a big-bodied run-stopper. He's able to do it. Brian Monet, Puna Ford, and Al Woods, we talked about old man strength, dad strength earlier. Al Woods has dad strength. Al Woods is strong. Now, maybe that strength was enhanced in the past. But... He's a farmer in the offseason. Yeah. Yeah. Like, dude, That's strong. where you get it. Somebody else texted in different tough occupations, loggers, masons. I'll tell you what. Anyone who works with cement, do not mess with a man that works with cement. Any, a, any sort of gravel, like those sort of, like you don't want, and farmers, farmers up there. Well, that's Bump. I think Bump knows a little about old Farmer hands. He, he joins us. That's coming up next.